Hi, and welcome to the fifth episode of our podcast series addressing workplace sexual harassment. Let's talk respect at work. Let's start this episode by taking a closer look at some industry and sector specific examples of reports into sexual harassment in the workplace. Ruth, do you want to kick us off? Sure, and very happy to. Um, for the listeners that don't know, I'm, I'm based in Perth. And so the issue of sexual harassment in the mining and resources sector is of real interest to me. And it's also been very well publicised um, in Western Australia. As identified by the Australian Human Rights Commission in 2020, the mining industry is one of the worst five performing industries when it comes to the prevalence of sexual harassment. Off the back of that, in June this year, a WA Parliamentary um, Committee released the Enough is Enough report, and that examines sexual harassment against women in the fly-in, fly-out mining industry. And the findings of that report were sort of quite eye-opening, weren't they, Ruth, and pretty extensive? They really were. And, I mean, the committee made 24 recommendations to address prevalence of sexual harassment, identifying workplace characteristics that created the risk of sexual harassment and what steps um, the industry and specific employers um, were taking or needed to take in response. And some of those recommend, recommendations included um, ensuring there are serious repercussions, including termination of employment for any person who um, attempts to seek sexual favours for advantage and that all proper legal actions are taken against them. Um, there was also a focus on the need for improved gender balance in mining companies. Um, and this looked at in a greater effort to increase female participation at supervisor and management levels. Um, another recommendation was introducing a consistent and comprehensive de definition of sexual harassment in the WA regulatory framework, as well as a review of the educational and reactive approach of regulatory bodies to sexual harassment. And really, the report also directly called on employers in the industry, um, and particularly, you know, some of the larger, um, you know, and well-known um, mining employers to move beyond statements of intent um, to ensure their workplaces and their work workers are free from har harassment. And, and really, you can see, um, you know, some of the big players in this space heeding this call. Um, Rio Tinto was one of them who concurrently um, engaged the former Australian Sex Discrimination Commissioner, Commissioner Elizabeth Broderick to undertake a comprehensive um, review of Rio's workplace culture. And that really, I think, is a significant undertaking um, by Rio that was triggered by you know, some of this growing recognition of the responsibility of major, of major employers and corporate citizens to place um, you know, a real emphasis and a genuine emphasis on psychological safety and workplace culture. And you know, Rio's findings you know, were very significant. Um, Elizabeth Broderick found that approximately 20%, 28% of women in that workforce and 7% of men had experienced sexual harassment at work and that bullying and sexism was systemic across the organisation. Um, and she detailed 26 uh, recommendations for Rio um, to follow. And Rio, you know, to their credit, has committed to implementing all of them. That's such a um, confronting number, isn't it? You know, well over one in four women having experienced sexual harassment at, at that workplace. I mean, I would say, Ruth, and I'm interested in your thoughts that the fact that there's parts of the private sector and the public sector which I know we'll talk about are being open about sex discrimination and sexual harassment issues in their organization or industry is really a significant shift it's it's, it's not something I could have envisaged would have occurred say a decade ago 
I think you're right there, Ange. I mean, this sort of holding up a mirror and, um, you know, and to an organisation and and looking at, you know, really what is going on there is, you know, and, and publicising it too, making mm, those yeah. findings public um, is really significant. But I think it's consistent with the broader trend that we've been talking about towards transparency um, and of these issues of sexual harassment taking on a much greater priority at at the highest levels within an organisation. I think it also speaks volumes to the significance of the issue generally um, as well, that these inquiries haven't been limited just to the private sector. Um, For example, there's been the independent review into Commonwealth Parliament workplaces and and looking at this issue through a public lens. That review was asked to make some specific recommendations to ensure that the Commonwealth parliamentary workplaces are safe and respectful and, and that Parliament is is reflective of best practice when it comes to responding to sexual harassment and bullying. And and really that um, inquiry has culminated in Set the Standard Report, and that was published in November last year. And that report also made 28 recommendations and highlighted the need for change and cultural reform among parliamentary workplaces. And, you know, some of the steps have already been taken to act on those findings at a federal level, uh, with legislation being passed in February this year to implement 17 of the 24 recommendations. Um, And that included things like uh, amending the Federal Work Health and Safety Act to clarify that parliamentarians are officers with specific work health and safe duties uh, in respect of their staff, as well as clarifying that persons engaged under the Members of Parliament Staff Act are also protected under federal law from age or disability discrimination. So it's really kind of addressing some pretty significant gaps in, in what the existing regulatory framework was given their, you know, protections that would otherwise apply to, you know, almost everybody across across the country. Um, and at the state level, we've also seen reviews undertaken in New South Wales, for example, um, again, into bullying, sexual harassment and misconduct at um at parliamentary workplaces, again, in this case in New South Wales. And I think there were quite a few commonalities hearing what you've just mentioned between the findings in New South Wales and at the Commonwealth level, um, which I do think helpfully illustrate some of the risk factors for this type of behaviour, which um, is useful to touch on because um, some of these factors might be familiar to listeners in terms of things they have seen in workplaces they've been over the years. So, for example... Um, you know, power dynamics, the unequal distribution of power, gender inequality, um, unequal distribution of accountability and inconsistent behavioural expectations for different people. And then the highly pressurised, you know, adversarial political nature of the working environment. Some of the other factors which were also um, highlighted um, included, you know, long working hours, the nature of the employment arrangements, which for members of parliamentary staff, you know, are quite insecure, um, short-term contracts, um, and access to and consumption of alcohol in and around the workplace. And we know that those things are certainly not unique to the realm of politics. So I think there will be some, you know, lessons for the private sector there as well. Um, Finally, Ruth, let's touch on the Victorian Government's Ministerial Task Force on Workplace Sexual Harassment. What has that task force considered? Well, this task force was established in March last year and it was um, asked to develop reforms to better prevent and respond to workplace sexual harassment. And it made 26 recommendations, again, with a key theme focusing on work-related gendered violence um, and sexual harassment, really that it should be treated as an occupational health and safety issue. 
And the Victorian government published its responses to the findings in July this year, indicating that we're likely to see some really significant reforms in this area. Um, one of those will include more active involvement from WorkSafe in its powers of investigation and enforcement. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the regulator adapts to what is really likely to be an increasingly active role in this space. Yeah, I agree, Ruth. I think um, it'll be really, really interesting to see how the regulator sort of responds to all of these, you know, the kind of increased spotlight on the issue and um, and and the steps that employers are taking to try and sort of up their game um, on, on acting on sexual harassment as a, as a safety issue. So thank you very much for that. Um, and thanks for listening today. Please keep a look out for future episodes where we'll continue to keep you updated on developments in this important area. Thank you.